going on, everybody? It's your girl, Pam, with 2200 Taps. Hey, listen, I called out an emergency action last night at midnight to get this episode going, and thankfully I had some friends that uh, chose to show up for me and for you guys because the topic we're going to talk about is very sensitive, but we're going to rip the Band-Aid off because I feel like that sensitivity is really not helping what we're about to talk about. So I have three amazing ladies that decided to join me, uh, but before I introduce them, I'm going to let you know what this topic's about, and parents, just keep an open mind and an open ear. We are going to talk about the mental health aspects of our kids, our teenagers, our children. We are going through the pandemic, but pandemic aside, we still have kids that are struggling through this stuff, and sometimes they kind of get forgotten about, or we kind of miss red flags, and we... We hear about horror stories, and we want to uh, bring a different dynamic with this episode with uh, three different approaches, and uh, what's really cool is they are all parents. I'm not a parent, so we get to really get some more credibility on this episode around why it's more important as a parent or a caretaker to really keep an eye out on some of these red flags. So I would like to introduce you guys to my first guest, and they're all my friends, and Maddie, you're, you're part of the family here of my friend. <laughs> Um, my first guest is actually going to be, um, Alicia, uh, Featherstone, Featherstone, right? Featherstone? Um, Featherstone. I mean, I know these people for years. I don't know their names. Ask Contessa. I butchered her last name and I've known her for years. Uh, but we have Alicia on the line. Alicia is a dear friend of mine. She's also a doctor, um, for pediatrics, correct? I am technically a pediatric nurse practitioner, but I am Dr. Featherston. Um, there we go. Yes, I do pediatric primary care and pediatric mental health. Awesome. And she's I'm also a mother. Huh? <laughs> and she is also Sorry, a mom. I yes, I have a uh, recent 20-year-old and a uh, 10-year-old. So both, both still dealing with the pandemic. Technically no longer a teenager, but still dealing. Awesome. Thank you. And then uh, we have April Nordby, which I butchered your name earlier. I couldn't even get you the invite to this podcast because I misspelled it. <laughs> it's bad, guys. I'm Did horrible. <laughs> but uh, April as well. Um, you just moved back from San Diego, didn't you? California? I did. I did. Glad what, to be home. What are you up to now? Uh, so work in hospice services. And um, I've been in healthcare for over 25 years. Um, I actually started in pediatrics, um, pediatric special needs. So for about 18 years of my career was all um, home health for special needs kids. So I'm kind of a little bit of the same as Alicia, uh, just from a different approach. But and now I and I flipped over to adults and I'm working um, hospice and I've been in that for about three years. It's, it's definitely a calling. That's more power to you. I couldn't do that. I my my heart would break every day. Cannot do it. It does. <laughs> <laughs> oh jeez. Um, and finally, um, your daughter. Thank you. Invited your kid. I actually was kind of begging for somebody with a kid. If but it didn't, it wasn't necessary to be on the show. But you were like, you got her. And Maddie, thank, Maddie, thank you so much for being here. I know you're in the car, <laughs> headed doing headed. doing your thing. But um, thank you for being here. Yeah, of course. So let's get started, right? So there was a, an article yesterday that I read where this kid up in Everybody Maine. Everybody else got to introduce themselves except for me. What's that? Everybody else got to introduce themselves except for me. Oh, I thought you were done. Go ahead. Go ahead. Introduce yourself. I'd love to hear about you. Okay, so I grew up with a lot of 
mental health. Turn left. I don't know. A lot of mental health problems. Um, I currently work in a mental hospital, so that's all that's about me. Oh, and my two-year-old's back here chilling, sleeping. Aww. April's grandbaby. Well, very cool. Well, thank you for okay. Thank you for introducing yourself. I apologize. I was just like ready to roll into it. Um, and guys, we are doing life right now. So she's in the car and her friend seems to be getting lost. So if you hear uh, Suri screaming at them at the background, that's how it's going to be. But hopefully we can get through this without too many curse words just on Suri alone. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I want to get started. Like I said, I was reading an article yesterday uh, where this kid up in Maine, he took himself out. And when I when I say that, it means he... he he, he committed suicide. He took himself out and the dad was just like, I missed all the red flags. I did not know he was hurting. I did not know he was struggling with this. And it's just like, what what red flags are there, you know? Because oftentimes as kids or people, we hide things. But as parents, um, and whoever would like to jump in first, as parents, depending on your experience, what are these red flags that people always talk about that we're missing, potentially? Anybody, feel free to jump in. Um, so I'm not muted, but I'll just talk until somebody else unmutes. It looks like if April, if you want to say something from my perspective, um, I think parents miss when kids are in their own space a lot. They want to be alone. They say they just want to read or they just, you know, they're just tired or, um, they make a lot of excuses and the parents are also, you know, I know this is about teenagers, but it does come back to the parents. The parents are also dealing with this pandemic. And if they're working from home or if they're working outside the home and coming home, you know, they're, they're stretched thin also. And so sometimes when your teenager wants to go to their room and be quiet, it seems like a blessing. <laughs> and then other times we're missing those red flags of depression. Um, kids that change their wardrobe, kids that start wearing different clothes or sometimes hiding their cutting, um, appetite changes when kids stop eating, um, they stop engaging, they stop wanting to be on social media. Um, sometimes we think that's healthy because they are no longer inundated with all the stuff on social media, but that's also them disconnecting from their social network. So I would just say the little subtle changes that you start to think, oh, that's a good thing to always kind of second guess and say, what's the why behind it? Besides just that it's happening, kind of like digging a little deeper. Um, I mean, kids are really struggling right now with friends and connection. I mean, they had social media prior where back, you know, two decades ago, we wouldn't have had that. Um, However, social media is also their only lifeline right now. Hmm. And sometimes right now we're having parents, you know, that have lost their jobs. Obviously cell phones aren't a priority always. Um, Their kids are losing their lifeline to internet. Um, Some of them have had like schools pick up the internet and things like that. But if their only connection was really social media then, and now they have no contact, um, they're really feeling a lot of isolation. Yeah, I would say that. I would say all of those things. I think, as a mom of now four adults, um, well, one of them is still a teenager, I guess, technically, but I think for me, part of what I would say I overlooked is attitudes and back talking. And, you know, I went from having these sweet babies to having super sassy mouth and you just, you kind of blame, you're like, oh, that's what teenagers do. 
So I think that was probably a big piece that I missed. I don't know if Maddie has anything to add there, but I would just also say um, kind of like what April was saying, any changes, you know, if you've had a, a straight A student that now is just giving up, um, if you, you know, they can say, well, it's harder, it's distance learning, it's, you know, there's a lot of excuses, but if they were a driven straight A student doing hard and now they don't want to do hard anymore, they're just starting to decompensate, then those, those are red flags. So those changes in behavior can be somewhat developmentally normal depending, but there's always, you know, instead of just accepting it, trying to, trying to figure out what, you know, if it's just, something simple or, you know, in this time is like, nothing's very simple. So. Yeah. So, um, Maddie, me, yeah, go ahead, Maddie. Go ahead. For me in high school for, I think that it was going from middle school and hanging out with one group and then going into high school, everybody went their separate ways. And I started hanging out with the wrong people making bad choices, which therefore led to a lot of consequences that were not good for my mental health. Were, were the, was the crowd in itself uh, the biggest contributing factor that led to you making decisions like, I don't know, was it drinking? Was it, what was that for you uh, without getting too in depth with that? Um, I ran away from home a lot of times and I was using substances that were not legal okay. for me at that age or for anyone at any age. And um, it was mostly the crowd. Um, because I wasn't interested in any of that before I started hanging out with those people. So how did you um, how did you hide that from your parents or your mom or your siblings? What did... Um. Well, I did, I wasn't able to hide it for very long because <laughs> my parents are very observant. Um, but <laughs> I would tell my parents that I was doing one thing and I would really be doing something else. But my stepdad was a cop, and he had eyes everywhere. Oh so, so it didn't last. It it maybe worked twice, where I lied and said that I was somewhere where I wasn't, and then people started noticing who I was and was like, "Oh, she shouldn't be here," and started telling my parents. Oh boy! Oh god! Oh hey, man! Pam, I'll add something to that. Yeah. Um, not going to put too much of my story out here, but I was a crazy 15 to 17 year old and uh, like Maddie, you know, doing things I shouldn't have been doing and running away. And my dad was a cop and all of those things <laughs> wound yeah. up very familiar. But from my perspective, I, you know, if you're a smart kid and you know how to say what you need to say, like you can hide a lot of things. And so a lot of times it's once that lie hits the road that everything decompensates so like they're holding it together now they're caught and kids that have been skipping school kids that aren't turning in assignments kids that are just yes 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 everything's done and the parents are so busy they really don't have time to micromanage that um they're getting, you know, it's the end of the semester. They're going to start getting those failure notices. They're going to start getting those emails that say, hey, we got a problem. And the parents are going to, you know, be unaware because they've been trusting and the kids are just, you know, doing what they do. And it's when that acknowledgement has to happen and those consequences have to come down that the kids sometimes decide to check out because it's too hard because they don't want to go back and do the hard that they didn't have to, or they don't want to have to go forward. And so, I mean, I skipped six weeks 
of one of my school years and I called him sick for myself every day. And until that thing, yeah. And that didn't even come out until I ran away. I was like, Oh, well, too late now. Might as well just pack up and leave because I don't want to, I don't want to deal with that. Right. So um, I would just say from personal experience and the kids stories that I hear, there's like hardly anything I can't hear anymore. Cause I'm like, I'm almost done at all. And I hear all of these stories that I'm just kind of like, well, this isn't that big of a deal, but for that kid, it's a massive deal because not only did they lose the trust, now they have to go back and do the hard. Now they have the consequences. They're already feeling like wink because they already gave up. And now it's just a big explosion um, that happens usually. Oh yeah. And I'm not going to sit here and act like I was a saint. Like I skipped school in high school. My, and my mom caught me. She made me go back to my teacher and apologize to, to her. The one teacher. And my stepdad was a cop. It seems to be the theme here. I grew up with around law enforcement and he came after the fact, like after graduated high school, but yeah, people knew like when they know, uh, yeah, I get it. I totally get it. (laughs) Um, I think too, their other piece of it from a parental perspective is um, I try to be the balance between this overly strict cop stepdad and this daughter who had um, some mental health diagnoses. And I saw some of her behavior as self-medicating or coping. And he saw that as me making excuses for her. And so, but as a mom, there's a lot of second guessing yourself and guilting yourself. And what could I have done differently? And how did I cause this? And is this my fault? So there's a piece of that that I, hope that your listeners hear that you're not alone and this isn't your fault. Um, Because that was something I would love to have had that support at that time. And I just, I was super isolated in my parenting because I wanted to protect my daughter from herself and from the world really. Um, And I didn't know how to do that. So. I I agree with you. So because I know, I know April and Alicia and your kids and, um, and, and Maddie, you're a new mom, right? You, you have your two-year-old in the back seat. Um, yes. Even now, being a, a young mom as opposed to seasoned parents, right? Seasoned moms. How do you handle when your kids, you feel like you can't help them? Like, and you go into like, like, what is that? Like, what is that? Because I know I'd, I'd want to like protect if I had kids, I'd want to do anything I could, but I hear that sometimes you just got to let things happen. So when I'm it comes to give an example. To, yeah. Yeah. So earlier my son was playing in this tent and I was like, come on, Bubba, we're leaving to go eat. And he got so excited because he was hungry and he was coming out of this tent and he smacked his head on this little toy truck thing. And at first I was like, okay, whatever. So I scooped him up. He was fine. I got him kind of calm. When I sat him down, I was like, oh, his nose is bleeding. So I sat him on the counter and I tried to wipe it up, but he was throwing a huge fit. He would not let me wipe it up. And how I handled the situation, I was like, honestly, it will dry. And if he wants me to wipe it, he'll let me know. I'm going to have to let him have his space, let him feel his feelings. If he's not hurting himself or me, let him feel his feelings. So I let him do whatever he was doing. He distracted himself. And then 
whenever I was talking to him, I was like, okay, Bubba, like, let me wipe your nose. And he let me wipe it because the feelings he let, I let him feel those feelings. So they were able to get out instead of just bottling them up. I'm Oh my gosh. I'm glad you just said that. I'm so glad you just said that because it's about giving your kids or anybody for that matter, but more specifically kids for this episode, that safe place to feel what they're feeling. But being that nurture right that parental the, the parent or the caretaker to be like you know what i see that you're hurting what's going on like let's process let's do this together do you feel like that helps um april elisha i mean i know with your boys elisha and, and and april with your kids it's like how do you juggle that and has, has it worked long, long answer <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think it depends on the situation. I also think it depends on the parent's ability. Um, that's going to be a major spectrum. Um, my my oldest child is on the autism spectrum, and therefore he, on his own merits, processes things differently. Um, so it depends on what skill set you have to process with them. And, um, you know, processing with them is great, but if a parent themselves is already not in a healthy place, they're not going to be able to process in a healthy way. And, um, but yes, obviously letting, letting people process, letting the kids have their voice, um, letting them say whatever they need to say, but then also you can't fix it for them. Um, just like we've learned through our trainings, like if they can fix it for themselves, then they need to fix it for themselves. Um, jumping in and doing six weeks of homework because they're behind is not going to fix it for them. You know, mending those broken friendships for them isn't going to fix it for them. So allowing them to figure out, like being there for them, allowing them to figure out what it is they want, how they want to go about it, and being supportive is is awesome. But I have, a, um, you know, from what I've seen lately, it's a lot of parents trying to fix things. And I, April made a good point um, earlier. You know, a lot of parents right now feel extremely guilty. They're treading water. They're they're not even sure what they're doing. And so, and their kids are not doing well, and they feel guilty. Um, you know, unemployment is really high. Like everything that's happened in the last year has created this just bowl of chaos. And so people, you know, if a parent is not feeling, so my, my point to that, what I want people to hear, and I'm glad you said it like that, April, is because I almost forget somebody's listening to this, <laughs> is that, um, you know, even counselors right now are doing virtual therapy. So some are in person and some are just doing telehealth, but just having that person to reach out to and talk to and get advice from, um, that's the first step, just reaching out. And if you are outside your wheelhouse, you don't know how to help your own kid. You don't know what's going on. It's reaching out to somebody that does. Um, that's, that's just a basic step because a lot of times we, we don't want to bother anybody else. I mean, who wants to put one more thing on somebody else right now? Who wants to reach out to that other friend that's also struggling to say, can you help me with this problem? So I think a lot of people are isolating because they're scared, but then also just feel isolated. And so they don't want to reach out to ask somebody else for help. They already feel like they're a burden. Um, so there's just, it's so complex. Um, but getting the kids, even the ability to open up, like from my side, so my parent's side is like a whole different side because my son is 10, is still in school, still dealing with normal school stuff. Um, you know, for him, it's fourth grade any other year. Um, you know, and I'm not saying what I've done is better than anybody else or right, but I have pretty much 
protected him from the chaos. Like he doesn't watch the news. He doesn't, he's not on social media. He doesn't hear us talk about COVID. He doesn't hear us talk about the chaos. He doesn't hear us talk about any stressors, like if it's a financial thing. Like we do not talk about that around him. And that's because he's 10. And I don't feel like he's capable of processing the whole world and the chaos and the vaccine and all the things, like all the mass things, all the things that are so stressful right now. He is not part of that decision making. He is living life as a fourth grader. And so his biggest problem is that he didn't get along with somebody at school that day and he didn't listen to his teacher and he lost his Xbox, right? So that's how he's coping, right? So my my 20 year old though is living life and he's an adult and he's on his own, he has his own job. He's lost three jobs this year since COVID. Like, like he's struggling as a young adult, right? And so when he asked me like, what should I do? I don't tell him what to do. But I'm asking, what do you think you should do? What do you want to do? How are you doing? Like, what are you doing to cope? You know, if he's not coping well, like, well, what are you doing to get in your own way? So like asking them the right questions is important, but sometimes they don't know what to ask. Um, from the mental health provider standpoint, I've had even multiple kids this week tell me, well, I've just been telling you what you want to hear which is not how I run things. And so <laughs> even then I'm like, um, you know, that's not how we run things here. You know, you know, you could have told me this six months ago. Like I asked you this for a reason, you know? So like, even in this situation, like having the hard talk with them, not just making it okay to hide things, you know, and, and to really ask them the hard questions. And even though I'm not their counselor, that's very important to me. If your kid's in counseling, touching base with the counselor and touching base with the kid. Are you doing hard work? Or are you talking about what you had for dinner last night? Like, what are you doing when you're in therapy? Because not doing the hard work is wasting time. So like I check in with my kids here, like how hard do you work with your counselor? Do you connect with your counselor? Um, do you dislike your counselor? Like, cause if you don't like them, you need to change because <laughs> that's not going to work. So like, um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's just hard because kids don't want to put another thing on their parents either. You know, mm -hmm. our teenagers right now are struggling, but they see their parents struggling. And then we go into like, we're going to take care of mom mode. And if I have to tell mom one more hard thing, she's going to fall apart. And so our kids are really carrying a lot of their parents um, and they don't want to be one more stressor. So, I mean, it is, it is just, it's such a cluster mm -hmm. right now. And I didn't share the F on there, but it is such a cluster. <laughs> Now, um, that there is no right answer. And I think that's what I want a mom to hear is that there's not a right answer. What you're doing for your kid is different than what somebody's doing for their kid. And if you took your kid out of school or left them in school, and if you make your kid wear a mask or not wear a mask, and mm. if you, whatever the thing is, it's what you need to do for you, your mental health, your kid's mental health, whatever it is. And so social media, again, even though it's like the lifeline of information, it is a horrible place because it judges everybody and everybody finds their value and their judgment daily in their face. And they're constantly comparing themselves to everybody mm -hmm. that's on Facebook and what they think and what they do. And it's a train wreck. Like if I have any advice, it would be to get off social media, like in, as a news feed. Like to reach out, to connect to your friend, that's one thing, but to just scroll the newsfeed all day long mm. is going to make people crazy. Like it's literally going to break people. I, I agree. Um, and Maddie, if you're there, I wanted to kind of jump to you and, and your mom real quick. Um, if you could share in those moments when you were hiding things from your parents, what would, why did 
why did you feel like you needed to hide the stuff that you were doing? Like, what was the um, big reason? If you, if I mean, I knew what I was doing was wrong. And I didn't want the consequences that I knew were coming. And so if maybe if they didn't find out, then I wouldn't have to deal with the consequences. What were the consequences? What did they look like for you guys? The consequences were different for every situation. So if I would have snuck out, they would have taken my phone and then I won't have communication to go where I'm going. Um, when I don't know how to like not be too um, open. Can I, can I be too open? I, I don't care. Oh, there's no such thing as not being open enough on the show. Like you can, this is transparency at its best. So as, as far as you want to take us. Mom. Okay. So good. mom, you're okay with that, right? <laughs> Yeah. I say go to town. Yeah. Okay, so one time I was friends with this girl who was helping or I was helping her sell narcotics at school. And when my parents found out about that, I was not allowed to be friends with that girl anymore. I couldn't have her on any social media. I wasn't allowed to be in contact with her. I was like grounded. So that would be the consequence for that situation. One time I ran away from home for so long that when I came back, I got an ankle monitor so that I could only go from school. <laughs> no, I'm so serious. Oh, from school wow. to my house. And if I would have cut it off, that thing was going to cost like $500 and I had to pay for it myself. There were like each circumstance had its own consequence. And I'm pretty sure they went to the extreme of consequences. <laughs> <laughs> you always feel that way. <laughs> so, but from the parents' know. perspective, we were trying to keep her safe from herself, right? You know, we saw that behavior as potentially life-ending, right? I mean, if you're out selling narcotics and you're running away from home and you're gone for days at a time and we don't know if you're dead or alive, so from the parental perspective, you're seeing your kid's behavior and you you have that knee-jerk reaction. I'll tell you, we parented her very differently than we parented the others. We parented the others straight out of a love and logic book. We parented the others. We couldn't have been more by the book, love and logic with them. Um, but because of some of her mental health diagnoses, we felt like we had to do things differently with her. Um, and her behavior was so much more extreme than theirs. And so it just looked different. It also looked a whole lot different because when they would use love and logic on me, I needed to feel my feelings and I needed to get out what I needed to get out. And when she would say things like, I love you too much to argue with you, <laughs> that would spin me out of control. I would be like screaming. I'd be like, no, freaking talk to me. Like, yeah. we're going to argue because I need to argue. And at the time she thought, she was doing what was best because she didn't want to argue. She loved me. She didn't want to have a heated conversation with me. And I needed to learn how to speak to her without it being an argument. And we didn't know how to make that connection. And I feel like we should have done teen and family camp later on in my teen years, because whenever I did it, things were not 
awesome. They weren't great, but they were nowhere near as bad as they were when I should have done it. So, and to Maddie's point is that there was value in doing it, but that you maybe even needed to redo it or having done it later would have been just as valuable, but there was, there was some disconnect later. And if you were still struggling, then like some additional really hard therapy was in, in need is what you're saying. Yeah. I should have done big pathways at like 15, like (laughs) seriously. And for my listeners, we, we've talked about Pathways Core Training in season uh, season one of the podcast because a lot of my guests were people that I met through Pathways. And today, Alicia and April, we just lost her, but I'm sure she'll come back on here in a second. We all met through the, the core training that really helped us in our own different ways. And one training they provide is Teen Family Camp. And what that is, is you bring your teenagers and parents or your caretakers and you guys work through, through the stuff that's not working. You guys learn all the tools and all that good stuff to overcome some of this stuff some of the miscommunication barriers some of their traumas and stuff they want to talk about uh separately and then then you come together but it's a great training um elisha you went through it right i did but i wanted to add something about teen family camp and and really not even pathways because people are going to hear pathways and be like okay that's the solution but um i think that Mm -hmm. the other part of that that's missing is that any therapist um can do family counseling. And I think a lot of the times people put their kids in counseling and they think, okay, this counselor is going to help them because this counselor is going to fix it. Um, But it's really not, it's really uncovering things that the kids need to deal with. And so then they come home and try to deal with it. And the parents aren't receptive to dealing with it because they haven't had their counseling. (laughs) It does not work. So it really needs to be counseling and then family counseling and a good counselor. Not all of them are created equal, but a good counselor that's willing to push hard, ask the hard questions and do the hard work because parents when their kids come home from counseling, they don't get to, they don't get to know what was discussed. It's confidential, which is great that that needs to be there, but there also needs to be a bridge and like, you know, somebody that can mediate and teach them how to communicate and deal with the things that are not working and, and figuring out the root of what's not working. Cause usually when you go to counseling at that point, there's so much that has transpired and there's so much resentment already mm-hmm. that people are just ready to give up. Right. And this is like, instead of that would be my biggest thing to say too, instead of the last ditch crap, we've tried all the medicines, we've tried all these things. Now let's go to counseling. That is really backwards. It should be, we've been in counseling for 12, you know, 10 years, things aren't working, you know, and 10 years sounds extreme, but we've been in counseling a year. Things aren't improving. Um, There's still a lot of depression, anxiety, then, you know, and maybe not even a year. My point is that's not the timeline, but there should be some work being done first and continuously. Like, in my, from a medical spot, if somebody has put your kids on medicines and you are not doing therapy, you are doing it wrong. And wrong sounds like a really hard word there, but it would, there is so many studies that show counseling and medications together have a major outcome improvement compared to just one or the other. And I know it's hard times and people may not have access, but there are lots of places that even do like free free counseling or those that don't have um, funds. And so there are resources and I know not for everybody, but there are for most people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think that that's a missing piece because people want to fix it. They want to, they want to feel better faster and they don't want to do the hard work. And so um, I would just say, don't overlook counseling. A lot of people have a negative thought process around counseling, or maybe as a child, they tried counseling and they don't want to do it as an adult or they did it and they don't feel like it worked. 
Um, I would say, like I said, not all counselors are created equal, but to find one that does work with you because there's multiple techniques and things like that. If you're struggling, then there is something that you need to deal with. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad you brought that up because, yeah, Pathways Core Training is a great resource. But like you said, it's a resource. And there are plenty more out there. And TFC, Team Family Camp, happens once a year. We don't have time for that. There, yeah. You got to find the tools many people to help all at once. Yeah, and um, one one nonprofit I do want to give a shout out to, since we are talking about this, um, is a uh, Twenty Two Kill here in DFW. They're known for the Twenty Two Push Up Challenge, that black rings, all that good stuff. But they have a program called Stay the Course, and what they do is they provide therapy, free therapy. You know, they don't take insurance, and you're going to have to talk to them more in depth about that stuff. But for first responders, meaning doctors, nurses, military, uh, police officers, their spouses, and their children. That's good to know because there's yeah. a lot of insurances that they have insurance, but they don't cover mental health. Right. Or an agency that is a great therapist but doesn't take insurance. And so a lot of people find themselves with insurance, but they can't use it, you know, or this great psychologist or this great therapist, but they're cash pay only. And, you know, a hundred bucks a week is just not in the budget. So, I mean, really, you know, finding psych, psych resources are just so, so hard to find and good ones. Yeah. And don't let that word psych scare and you. There's- and there's what? Who, who is that? April? Oh, she froze a little bit. Um, oh, there you are. You were saying? I I, I can't stay connected. I live out in the middle of nowhere. I can I see that. I don't <laughs> usually have this much problem. Sorry. <laughs> You're okay. Um, I would say this, too, is there's still so much stigma around mental health and psychiatric. And, you know, one of the things that I tried really hard to impart on Maddie when she was younger well even now still we have conversations about it it's like if you had diabetes Mm -hmm. you would have an insulin pump if you oh that's the worst time to lose her oh there you are if you what (laughs) y'all seriously this is driving me crazy I was just fixing to say that I was gonna say exactly what April just said if your kid had asthma you would not question giving them an inhaler if your kid had eczema, you would not question putting a cream on their skin. Like you just would not question it, right? Your kid's vomiting, you know what to do. But it seems like for whatever reason, when it's mental health and people can't see the physical pain, they can't see the broken bone, they are so afraid of it or they just don't either. One, they don't understand it. Two, they don't relate. Or three, they don't want everybody else thinking there's something wrong with them. Mm-hmm. Um, I have that same perspective from teenagers. You know, I don't want to take medicine. And there's... And there's two, there's two parts to that. One is I've said many times when she was younger, I'd say, if my kid were in a wheelchair, this would be so easy because I have a disabled brother in a wheelchair. He's been in a chair for 22 years and you at least get people who have the willingness to want to stand in the gap for you when they see you handling this person in the wheelchair, right? They see you struggling to get the chair out of the car or they see you struggling to get a door open or something along those lines. But when you see a parent who's struggling with a child whose behavior is 
not the social norm or not acceptable behavior, whether it's autistic behavior, whether it's psychiatric behavior, it doesn't matter. If if your kids aren't marching beautifully like a Pinterest board, then something's wrong with you, the parent, get a hold of your kid, what's wrong with you? And so as a mom, you know, I struggled with that part of it. I'm like, if my kid were in a wheelchair, this would be so easy. Um, but from Maddie's point, you know, she would come to me as a mom and say, mom, I don't want to take a medicine at my friend's house. Like I'm embarrassed. I don't want to do that. And, and so how do I tell her, you know, I'm like, okay, that's where the whole diabetes, asthma, same thing, Alicia, it's like, if you had diabetes and you had a pump, would you be embarrassed of your pump? Yeah, maybe, but it saves your life. And so does this medication. It is. It's just hard for people to understand sometimes, but I mean, you can, you can talk to people about things like that and sometimes they'll get it, but it's also, it's just one of those things that they can't see it. And if they themselves didn't relate, I see the relationship going two ways there. Either they relate because like Maddie, Maddie's a mom. Now, if, if her child has struggles like that, she'll relate, right? Maddie, you'll, you'll relate to that. You'll know how to help with that. But have you never had those struggles? You might not know how to relate. And then if you've had a teenager now that's having this really horrible episode two years ago and had this very traumatic experience, and now we're wanting them to do the same type of therapy or do something different, their, their reference point is, is no, I don't want to do that. So um, that relationship goes two ways. It's your experience with it. You know, if you had a sibling as a child that had a negative mental health issue, you don't want to deal with that, you know? So it just depends on what your experience is, where your perspective comes from and culturally, Oh my gosh, that's like a whole nother podcast. Culturally, <laughs> mental, health, mental health is, um, you know, is different for whatever that's culture. True. That is with. insanely true because my husband and I talk about, he, I, I hate to put it like this. I don't put it like this. He puts it like this. He's like, black people don't believe in mental health. Like he needs to be medicated and things like that. It's okay, baby. Oh, uh, mommy, mommyhood. Hold on. <laughs> okay. It's all right. Yeah. And to yeah. clarify, it's, um, that's a good point that you just said that he says, you know, um, and it's not to single out the black community by any means. That's not what this podcast is about. We, let's just get that straight. <laughs> yeah. What I know about. it's a sensitive subject, right? So not yeah. only you added a whole other layer of sensitivity, right? Like mm-hmm. you already took mm-hmm. the topic of mental health. Now you take a sensitive topic of mental health and kids, and then you take a sensitive topic of mental health and kids in a specific ethnicity, socioeconomic demographic, regardless of their ethnicity. And you, it just gets it's so nuts. complex. Right. And, you know, one thing with, when I said that, it made me think of this is that one thing I've seen myself personally, professionally, is the increase in uh, foster care. So even in the, I mean, I see foster care kids all the time, but, and I hate saying it that way, I'm going to back up if you can edit this. I have seen lots of kids that are now in foster care. <laughs> I hate that other <laughs> way to say that. Um, but the point is, is that the, it has, the uptick has, has increased. And if you think about it, it's really not that shocking, right? You already had parents that were hanging on by a thread and then we just cut the cord. And now they're just not, they're not coping. They're either not coping themselves mentally or they already had an addiction issue or whatever it was, or maybe they just had some whatever other issue, right? But we just threw fuel on it and then we stomped it out and said, never mind, there's no, there's no rescue coming. Mm-hmm. And 
And then we expected these kids in those environments to thrive. And that has just not happened. There's, you know, and I know, Pam, you know, some of these same people I know, but I know for some reason, I know like 10 teachers, you know, personally, and the, all of their situations are different, right? Where they teach is different. Their demographic is, te- uh, is different, but they're all, they're all having kids struggle. They're all having parents struggle. Um, even the parents I have coming into the office that have kids in private schools that maybe still only have one parent working and a stay at home mom and that whole, like what I think people think of as like this whole, like, yay, the situation, um, you know, they're, they're financially sound they're, they're They didn't lose their job. Their kids are still going to private school. It sounds all great. Those kids are in my office right? Those kids are still struggling. The parents are still struggling. And obviously you have the opposite side of that spectrum, but the, and, and I know it's a Facebook meme, but like the whole thing about like, we're not in the same boat, we're in the same storm could not be more true. Like nobody's boat looks the same. Not even anybody on the screen's boat looks the same. It just doesn't. And so when people start to generalize and judge and, and not even realize they're judging, but when they generalize and put their statement out there as fact and as truth and as no other option, that is a judgment. And so then somebody else compares themselves to that. And then what? Right. So I would just say that like foster care has been huge. The amount of kids that I've seen that have come in that were, that were probably already struggling themselves mentally. And now it's just like, we just cracked it. We just cracked the system wide open. Um, it has been, has been a little, you know, it, it's a lot for me to even to handle just, just the story after story, like what's coming in. Um, it's, it, it's, it's hard to process. And so even from people that work in mental health or nursing or healthcare, so that's probably a fourth podcast, but like, we also, you know, we're, we're also dealing in all of this stuff, you know, not like we deal with it professionally and then we go home and we deal with it personally. And then not that everybody else doesn't, but like, we're just seeing all of this all day long, not only the actual COVID virus, but the mental health issues that are coming out of it. And it, it's, it's exhausting. And, you know, without a, without a light at the end of the tunnel, um, which I don't think is here. I, I see people posting that. And I'm like, what tunnel are you in? Want <laughs> <laughs> to come join your tunnel because I don't see it. Um, you know, it's it's an ongoing thing. If you cannot keep yourself centered and your own mental health in check, it's a full time job for me to do just that. I would, I mean, it yeah, and, and and to piggyback a lot of what, what you just said, and I want to put this out there, especially for the parents, and I'm going to call the parents out on this one because I've seen it way too much. And it, it really hurts my heart around this. But the parents that are afraid to do something or they can't accept their kids for who they are because they're a reflection of them and they have to be perfect. That whole thing, like, oh, they're not perfect. Uh, no, you're going to do this because you're my kid and that's how we do this. Like, no, F that. <laughs> you know, they're their own person. They have their own feelings. Be a safe place for your kids. Be a safe place for these teens. And not just parents, but any adults. And I wholeheartedly want to, and I'll tell you that I'm super guilty of that. I think because I was a police wife and there was a stigma to that and my kids had to be perfect and I wanted things to look perfect. I mean, I dealt with a lot of that through my own pathways journey was how I failed my kids because I was so determined to make them look good to everybody else. And even as adults, I mean, my kids range in age from 18 to 27. And even as adults, my kids 
can come to me now and do. And they're like, yeah, mom, you were hard to live with because we felt like we had to be perfect all the time. And that, you know, and I had a lot of growing as a parent to do. And I for, unfortunately didn't get the opportunity to really learn love and logic until my kids are a little older. And I did better once I had that under my belt, but it was definitely, there was definitely struggles within my own psyche trying to make everything look pretty. So with that, what what was your turning point, April? And not to get too much into your story, if we can keep her online, if she just keep getting popped off. Uh, when were you just like, I've had enough, I'm okay to be, to love my kids for who they are? Like, what was that breaking point for you? Just, and then Alicia, um, if we can come to you after that. You know, I think probably the second time that Maddie ran away, um, major runaways I and mean, she ran away here and there she was gone for a day or two but there was a there was two different incidences that she ran away for several weeks at a time and she was off the grid no social media no communication with anybody that we knew and she has a twin brother so there was some we had ways of getting information um but the second time when she came home I, something just clicked for me. It, there was something in my, I started to go to Naranon, um, which is for the listeners who may not know, um, you have AA and NA for the addict and then Al-Anon and Naranon are the support for the family. And I started to go to Naranon and I realized through that journey that I didn't cause it, I can't control it and I can't cure it. And it was at that point that I finally just released my own like tight grip. It was like I had her in the palm of my hand like a baby bird and I was just suffocating her, desperately trying to keep her safe. And when I finally just was like, you know what, I can't, I can't fix this. I can't make her do what I want her to do or be somebody that I want her to be or whatever. And I finally let go of that. I could show up for my other kids. I could show up for my spouse. I could just breathe again. And it took that second runaway and going into a program like Naranon to just get that support and have somebody say, you're okay. You're going to live through, regardless of what she does, you're going to be okay if you take care of yourself. And from the kid's standpoint, it's like, as soon as she was talking about her grip and how she was like suffocating me, she was, I was like, please like just let me do me when she let go of that grip I could open my eyes because imagine being squeezed so hard you're just like I can't see anything but what I want this is what I want to do I'm going to do it I don't care what you do when she let go I was I could open my eyes and I could see what I was doing and I could make better decisions because I wanted to to do that for me not because my mom was forcing me to do better, but because I wanted to be better, I didn't want to feel the way that I felt. I wanted to take my medication so that I could be happy and I didn't have to use alcohol or drugs or other bad forms of coping mechanisms to make me feel good, but use medication and therapy, which is healthy, to make me feel like I want to be here, like I want to live life. Uh, go ahead, Alicia. I was just going to ask uh, Maddie one thing. No, go ahead and ask Maddie because I. So, so Maddie, you 
Were you ever, and I'm just going to ask an honest question, okay? Were you ever suicidal? Yes. Did you ever attempt? Um, no, but I did self-harm. I think that for me, the biggest reason I never attempted was because I was scared of what comes after. I have my own beliefs, but I was really scared of what was going to happen to me or my soul or you know, everybody has their own ideas of what was going to happen afterwards. So what, what, what changed ultimately? What is it off the table for good now? Yes. And what, and what was that like? What, what happened there? Um, before I had my son, it wasn't completely off the table necessarily. I still never would have attempted it, but I, it's not so much that I wanted to die. I just didn't want, to feel the way that I felt and I didn't know any other way to not feel that way unless I wasn't here. And that changed when I started actually going to church and I met our youth leader. I was no no longer in youth, but the youth leader was still young. He was pretty cool. And I got really close with him. And he was able to talk to me like nobody else. And I was like, if I can make this connection with this random man that I just met at church, like maybe two weeks ago, then it's worth it for me to stick around to make those connections with other people. Because I barely know this guy and I love him. He's my best friend. And so that was the initial, like, okay, maybe I should you know, get some help. Maybe I should work to feel better. And then when I met my son's dad, that just made it like a little more secure for me. And then I had my son and that was, I would never do anything to hurt my son. I could not leave him here without me. He is, uh, I can't even, if you're not a parent, it's just like undescribable to anybody. Like, even if you are a parent, you can't describe to other parents how you feel about your child and it's like it's insane like I could never leave him here I love that thank you thank you for sharing that um Alicia I'm like I don't know where to start right now what was the question question? Um, oh god memory of a goldfish um so you I think I remember it was you and, and your kids, right? And dealing with them and growing up and raising them. What was it? Yeah. What was the changing point for you? Oh, I feel like there's too many. Um, definitely. Uh, I mean, pathways and, and teen family camp were huge. Um, they opened my eyes to, I mean, April's mentioned it a couple of times. Love and logic is, is something I teach now um, kind of like in little nuggets, but um, it's definitely a game changer. But the, um, I think, you know, my, when I, when you asked the question to April, my thought was when I learned to love myself, because I have a feeling that like, you know, when we're not fully in our own, like when we don't fully know ourselves and when we're, we're not feeling fully aware of like what's going on in our own head, like we can't understand anybody else. And so that, that would be the, the kind of fluffy answer. But, um, I think also just, uh, you know, my, my oldest and, and he'll have to 
forgive me if he's butthurt about this sharing, but uh, he, this was my story. Um, you know, we know I don't like to share the people's stories, but this is my story because he was suicidal. He was, um, you know, in treatment for that more than once. And um, as a parent, oh, it's really hard for me to talk to parents about that without getting emotional. But like as a parent, like there were some days you come home and you just don't know what you're going to find. And you're not sure, like, can I, can I walk in the door and just know that there's nothing traumatic waiting for me? And there was days I didn't know the answer was yes. And um, okay. But as a parent, I mean, even as a medical provider, to tell a parent that that's not something they can control. You cannot watch your kid 24 hours a day. You can love them and you can get them all the help you want. Or ultimately people have to choose to want to be here. And I mean, obviously in those dark times, they're not processing things like we would like them to, but, um, you know, there's a lot of fear for parents when their kid's in a negative place. They live out of fear and they respond out of fear. So when the kid threatens something like that, they stop. They just stop holding them accountable. They stop enforcing consequences because if I enforce a consequence, then they might kill themselves, right? If I make it hard, then they might kill themselves. If I make them go to school, then they might kill themselves. <laughs> like when your kid's in that negative space, it is really hard to let them go. And the, April, when you were talking about the bird, like, like that's a hard moment. Because if I let them go and they might not come back, or that is, that is just reality. And honestly, that's reality. What's what's For a lot of parents, what's what's hidden you? Um, because this is this is my reality. Five days a week, five days a week, I have kids that are here and struggling. I have parents that are here and struggling, and you know, no matter what I do, no matter what the counselor does. You know, I get a note that says another kid's back inpatient because they try to kill themselves. Um, and, you know, we've had uh, an increase in success rate lately. Um, not only attempts, but successes. And it's just, it's a lot to manage when you're trying to help a parent still parent you can't just stop parenting because somebody's in a bad place but it is a very tricky line and a lot of times though kids are just really fighting for that control and just to be who they want to be and it's just you know it's a very it's a it's a hard thing to parent and let somebody be and to do what you know with your 40 years of experience in life and what they don't know you know and it's just it's just a very hard place to be for parents and even though like like my kid is fine, right? He's he's here. He chose to be here. There was a place where we had to let go and just say, look, dude, like you have all the opportunity in the world. I mean, 
and again, no judgment on my kid. These were just choices he made, but my kid could have had a four-year college ride paid for by me, wouldn't have had to work. There were things he had opportunity to do. And what he chose to do was to leave and to do it on his own. And that's going to give him his own life experience in different ways. And there's no judgment around that. But again, I can't, I can't put him in a cage and tell him what he has to do. He has to learn those things. And so I just thought like when you asked like where was the breaking point, it was, um, it was just knowing that no matter what I did and no matter how much I did and how much I controlled, I ultimately wasn't controlling it. And, and April, I say that to people all day, like you did not cause it. You can't control it. You can't fix it. Like that is a mantra because we didn't cause any of this. We can't control any of this and we can't freaking fix any of it. Like it's, that's just it. And if I didn't have that mantra, I would probably not be mentally healthy right now through COVID. Like almost every day I have to recite that to myself because shit is always off the chain here. Shit changes daily. You know, it's, it's who knows what all day, you know? And, um, I don't know. It's just, you know, as and a I mom, can speak to that fear, Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. That's it. You can go for it. Just the the fear that you talk about, like walking in your house every day and not knowing what you're going to walk into. You know, there were so many times that I didn't know exactly that. I didn't know if I was going to, if she was going to be home, if she was going to be gone, if she was going to be high, if she was going, if there were other people that were going and you start to look at everything and you start the story you tell yourself, it's crazy making. Um, I had spoons that would disappear and I had completely decided that she was cooking meth somewhere. Like, I don't even know if it's meth that you cook in a spoon, to be honest. But I mean, that was like, I could make up stories and completely blow them all out of the water. And then I parented out of that fear mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. It's, there's not a right answer. I mean, and we've got, you know, this isn't like rocket science, but we have grandparents that are parenting. We have, you know, and and honestly, this is the beginning and that's what's, it's overwhelming if I think about it too much, but this is the beginning of the mental health crisis. This is not it. This is nowhere near the peak and it isn't going to be gone for generations. I mean, that is my position. This is the beginning of a new thing to have PTSD from. This is a new thing that is going to cause residual anxiety, OCD. We have taught kids that if they don't wash their hands 20 times a day, wear a mask, stay away from people, not breathe, that they're going to die. And I know that sounds extreme, but when you tell a seven-year-old that they have COVID and they literally start bawling and freak out in front of you because they have a cold virus and I'm not minimizing, we're not here to discuss COVID. It is a lot. You know, these kids think they're going to die and not most kids are going to die, you know? And so we have created this huge amount of fear, not that it's not applicable in certain situations, but we have also not taught them how great the body is, how great their immune system is, how, how they can protect themselves. We have made them victims and they are just waiting to die. That's what I see. And it's so heartbreaking to walk in and just say, you know, your test is positive and then have a kid just fall apart. And then like, 
what are you supposed to do with that? You know, and you can hug them and tell them they're going to be okay. And, and you, 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 I truly believe that when I say that, you know, and then that's what the other side is like, we're healthcare professionals, just because a kid has COVID, I walk up and I hug that baby like any other baby. It doesn't matter. And absolutely. But then they go home, you know, and now their parents are freaked out. Now they've got to call all their friends and they've got to call all their family. And then everybody freaked out, you know, and then this kid that is sick is freaking out. And nobody's there that's mentally healthy to care for them because everybody's freaking out. And it's just a mess. And so these kids are going to have had a whole year of their life, two years of their lives where they have lived in a bubble and lost every every piece of connection they had and and then we're just going to expect them to like go back to school in 2022 act like nothing happened and don't worry about that star test because it's okay you missed two years of school we'll get you you know it's it's going to take a decade to unravel one year of this chaos it's 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 mind-blowing sometimes well i mean but with that we don't want to leave people doubtful right what it means is we got to hit the ground running and really tackle these stigmas and really tackle the stuff that nobody wants to talk about and really be safe places for each other. Because you know what? It's not just the kids too. It's the adults. No, the, it's the adults are like, get away from me. I'm like, what? I got asked today yeah. if I had COVID because I cough. I'm like, no, I have chronic bronchitis. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, it, but and that's happens. what I meant when we started this is, you know, it, it, I love talking about kids. It's like what I've done for 20 years, right? Yeah. I, I can talk about kids all day, but really kids all live with some sort of adult, mm-hmm. right? Be it their grandparent, their caregiver, their foster parent, whoever it is, there is an adult that's there that is influencing these kids. And I will just say it's not their fault, but a lot of adults are not coping, And so if the adults aren't coping, we're going to have a generation of kids that had parents that couldn't cope. And then what, you know, it's, it's just, yeah, I agree with you. Like, how do you unravel it? You talk about it, you know, but, but what are we seeing on the news? Are we seeing on the news, like all the resources for PTSD, all the resources for counseling? Are we seeing funds being put into like pop-up mental health places instead of pop-up COVID testing sites? No, we're not. We're not seeing anything that's going to be substantial. We were already so far effing behind in mental health in this country. We were already digging out of such a deep hole. (laughs) It's just like we just got thrown eight shovels on top and that's it. You know, so I think that's where we, those Mm -hmm. of us like you and I and Pam, and there are others of us have to stand up and be the change. And I hate to use the cliche, like be the change. But for me, I want to make sure that I am modeling joy, that I'm modeling um, the opposite of fear. Like I'm not naive. I wash my, I'm in healthcare. I wash my hands. I wear a mask. Don't be stupid. Like I, that's what I just want to tell people. Like you want to shake them, grab their shoulders and shake them and go, just don't be stupid. Duh. Don't lick my face. We'll be fine. You know? <laughs> yeah. I, hate when it happens. <laughs> I don't put a bunch of, yeah. Yeah. I don't put a bunch of negative crap on Facebook and I don't mm-hmm. subscribe to that kind of um, just that dark mentality, because I think we, we can either feed, which wolf do you feed? Right. Go back to that. Are you feeding the gold, good good wolf or the bad wolf are you feeding the fear wolf are you feeding the wolf that's confident and secure and i think those of us who are confident and secure need to start infusing that more loudly and stand up and be a voice for those who aren't 
holding it together right now, being a support. And we can only touch the people in our, in our scope, but touch those people everywhere that you can. And I, I know I sound like Pollyanna and I'm okay with that because I feel like that's how we're going to make a difference. One little human at a time. Well, it's so, like the starfish story. Mm-hmm. If you don't know the starfish story, go check it out. You know, it is the starfish. And I mean, I don't need it to is. tell the story. It is that one kid that you helped that left here feeling better. Yeah. It is that one mom that you told, I understand. Like, I understand that it's hard to sleep because you're you're scared. I understand, you know, but like, this is what it is. And I, I do, I agree. Like, I'm in the same boat. I'm not, I don't just share everybody's Facebook post, you know, and I actually hate Facebook. Um, yeah, we do. Um, and, you know, if it wasn't for the office, I wouldn't have Facebook, right? It just, it just wouldn't. It's, it's kind of a necessary evil right now. But I, I am, I do want to, and I am planning to like do more things on social media. I have a person helping me with that right now, getting all that set up so that we can do more live videos. So we can talk about little things like this, because even though I love this podcast, like this podcast could be a little overwhelming, right? It could be a little triggering. It could, it could open up freaking 18 cans for one person, you know? Mm -hmm. So like, I feel like we have to give it to the community and into people in little nuggets, what I just call like little pieces. Like here's this little gem, here's this little jewel, here's this little tool. This is what I need you to go home and think about and work on. I'm going to talk to you in a week or I'm going to talk to you in two weeks, but like we really need to give it out in like little small doses mm-hmm. because if not you get looked at as Pollyanna, right? It's not, it's not just this global thinking. It is, it is a true thing. It's just, how do you live it? And so I think, as we know, Just noticeable like, differences. Yes, exactly. <laughs> living your training, but living who you are, people see that. You know, I have parents that come in here on the daily, and it doesn't. I'm not going to talk about protocol, but they leave here saying, "You've made me feel better," just because of what you told me. Just mm-hmm. because of how you're not scared, I feel better. And I'm not. You know, do I live in fear? No. I know, I know this virus, I'm going to get it one day. It's going to happen. I'm exposed to it every day. I'm not, not in denial. My dad's in a nursing home, you know, he's going to get it. Will he survive it? Most likely not. It's going to happen. It's okay. Like I'm aware of those things. Right. And it's, it's letting go of what you can't control. And if you try to control it, it's, I mean, he's, I can't control what happens to him. It's going to happen. Um, You know, but I think the fear, I think the fear is what we are passing down to our kids. We have, made them afraid of everything like every person they know you know is in uh, the you know what i just thought about because i saw my dad in the nursing home these kids are afraid they're going to kill their grandparents they are terrified that they will be the one and they've heard a mom say well my dad is high risk so we can't go see grandpa but you know we took him once so that once if he gets sick they're gonna say oh it was me i did that i killed him like think about the weight mm-hmm. that we're putting on these kids because they could kill somebody like that's what they think that's what they've heard and they're hearing it because the parents are terrified i've got families that aren't working that won't leave the house that don't even want to bring their kid in here when they're almost suicidal, because guess what? They don't want to get exposed and they have literally put themselves in a bubble and you can only do so much telehealth. I will say to parents listening, telehealth is better than nothing, but it is not the same to talk to somebody on the telephone than it is to have that person in front of me and to be able to read their face and look at their eyes and hear their tone and 
watch their interaction with their parent and see the sideways glance and see the little smirk. Like I can do that. I, I tease that out all day. I can't do that over the phone. Right. I just can't. And so I would just say, reach out for something, but in person is just, it just is, it was in person in the beginning for a reason. Cause that's where the connection comes in at. If we didn't need the connection, we would have been doing telehealth for 20 years. Like, think about it. This wasn't new. We've had the internet. You know, it's not AOL dial-up dinging, but we've had it. We could have been doing this the whole time. But the reason we're not is because it's not the same. It's just not. Yeah, and I hear you with that for sure. I um, I just, I, I feel like this episode, uh, we're about ready to wrap up, just so you know. I feel like this episode has really highlighted which I love. And I'm so glad I had you guys and Maddie. Maddie had to jump off real quick uh, or actually for the sh- for the rest of the, the episode because I guess family needs came first, which is totally cool. So thank you, Maddie, so much for being here. That was so cool. Um, but you guys especially, there's so much energy around this. Elisha, not just with your personal stuff, but mental health provider or, or, or with being a physician's assistant, right? Did I say it right? Practitioner. Practitioner. Well, man, right. I'm going to edit that. Man, I'm such a bad friend. God dang. <sighs> Actually, I blame it but, on my concussions. But I'll, I'll say this. If you're if you're not in healthcare and healthcare is not your forte, most They're people don't know the difference between a physician's assistant and a nurse practitioner. Yes. So you'll get, we'll give you a little bit of grace yes. and a little pass today, Pam. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, it's fine. It, I do that too. Every day I have to explain that at least once. <laughs> But I know I feel, but I've known you for years. It's like, I should, I should know this. I've never treated you. So I know, I know. I feel horrible. (laughs) I I just want to say thank you for bringing this to the masses, the attention, bringing light to this because it's, it feels a lot like a secret when, and I'll go back to, you know, my own stuff. Um, Being the parent of a child who has multiple mental health diagnoses in the first impatient stay that my child had she was 10 years old and there's so much shame wrapped up in that and there's so much um self-reflection you there's a lot of blame and trying to figure out where you went wrong and what you did wrong and um when you take that journey as a parent i have i gave birth to four kids and you know, you look at all of them and, and it's hard not to compare and it's hard not to to say, well, how could I have parented all four of these kids exactly the same way? And not only have them be so drastically different, but have one that truly struggles with depression and suicidal, you know, tendencies and that sort of thing through her whole adolescence. And um, just thank you for making this public, if you will, because it's not something people talk about. And even in the circle of when you're in group therapy and you're all sitting around, like you still don't even really talk about it. And and it's just nice to have it's nice to have it put out there. So I, I thank you for giving this a platform and a voice. Absolutely. Thank you. I just you know, because I know where I was at when I I stuffed everything and I think we can all relate right with all the stuff that we stuff and then it comes out sideways and it, it almost cost me my life. And the, I, all I know is the quicker I can get my quote unquote, my shit out and tell you what's not working and acknowledge like I'm having a problem and I need help. The quicker I can get address it, the quicker I don't have to worry about it anymore. 
the quicker it's 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 not a weight that I have to bear anymore. And yeah, it's and, heavy. I yeah, and 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 thank you to you both y'all again. Just the energy that you have around this, sharing your stories with, about your kids and having your kid on April. I mean, that holy crap, that was really cool to see that. Um, I was surprised that she jumped on. Honestly, as crazy <laughs> as as her life is with a two year old and. I know it was in the car and all that, but I'm glad she got to jump on at least for a little while. That was pretty cool. Yeah, no, I loved it. I loved it. I, all y'all bringing what y'all brought today, just so many different directions. And I feel like if we can close this podcast up with what our overall goal was, if we could summarize for our kids, our teens, and even parents, because it turned into that, which is not a problem. That's that's a big thing. What can we tell our kids, our parents? our caretakers, what can we tell them? What can we leave them with that little nugget, Alicia, that you were talking about that maybe that few things. Yeah. What can you take away from this episode? Go ahead. So the big takeaway, the big thing that I would give um, as a gift to wrap this up in a bow would be this. If there is something that is in, whether you're a parent or a teen, um, if there's something that you're struggling with, something that's, um, keeping you from sleeping, keeping you from concentrating, keeping you from wanting to participate in just life, um, get it out, purge it, tell it, tell somebody, tell another person, get it out there because when you bottle it and you stuff it, that's when it festers and grows. And if you can get it out and get it off your chest and get it, just purge it from your soul, that's the first step in healing um, from my experience. I would completely agree with April. So not to repeat anything she said, but if you get it out and you feel like you're not heard, it doesn't matter if somebody else understands. It doesn't matter if somebody else agrees with you. Um, Cause this is for my teens. Like the biggest thing I hear is they don't understand me. They don't hear me, you know? And it's, and I think Maddie, if Maddie was here would say like when she was talking, it's usually like that angst that, you know, I'm not heard and, I, and I'm fighting to be heard and I just want to be understood. And, you know, and, and we understand that as adults now because we were that way as teenagers. But I would just tell a teenager, like, if you don't feel heard or understood, if you don't feel like that parent or that person understands you, keep telling your story. Somebody will relate to you. Like there's another teenager, there's another parent, there's another whoever. If it's at church, if it's at counseling, if it's at freaking Target, I don't care, you know, like wherever you're at, tell your story because I think here's one thing I tell kids and I know this isn't pretty, pretty bow to Pam, but um, the, um, you know, when I'm talking about bullying and this is kind of different, but it makes the same point, like, you know, when they won't stand up for themselves, then they usually will stand up for somebody else. And so I'll tell them, Hey, you know, if you don't care that they're messing with you and you can handle it, then how about the person that can't handle it? Right. So how about you tell that somebody bullied you so that way the next person they bully that can't handle it doesn't have to live it. So like, don't, you know, just stand up, like stand up for yourself over and over again. And if it's not for you, the person you share with may have needed to hear your story. That other teenager may have needed to hear your story and will connect with you. So like keep talking because it's not over. It's not it's only hard, right? And that's a phrase I freaking love and I share every day. You know, it's so hard. You know, how many times a kid tells us school's hard, this is hard, mom's hard, this is hard, whatever. It's just too hard. Like it's only hard. Oh, if you can grasp the concept of something's fucking hard, 
but it's only hard and it's not that you can't do it. It's, it's that it's freaking hard. So like do it, but do it because it's hard, you know? And so like, I don't know, I'd be the change is like awesome. I have it on a bookmark I made for the office. And I just think that if one kid will stand up for themselves, then another kid will stand up for themselves. And so to a teenager listening or a parent of a teen, like just listen, they don't need you to fix it. They just need to be heard. They don't even give a shit if you agree. They just want to know that you hear them and that you still love them. And then it doesn't matter. That's it. They don't even care if you can fix it. They just want to know that you're not going anywhere and that they can do the hard with you and that they won't break you, that it, that you can handle the hard. And if you can show them that you can handle the hard, they'll open up. But if they think they're going to break you, they're not going to open up. I agree. And handling okay. the hard, it, it takes a, a community. You're not in this by yourself. You're not in this alone. And that's what we often feel. And, and, and I'm going to say we because I hear it all the time. It's like, I don't yeah. know how to do this. I don't Well, you doing this by yourself? Yeah. Well, there's your problem. Like lean on somebody, you know, get through it together. Climb that mountain together. And yeah, there's somebody that will help. There's somebody that will listen. Absolutely. Yeah. And parents, I mean, I... Thank you so much as parents, because I can't, I can't relate, but I know, uh, oh, did we lose April? No, she's there. But I know it, it can be difficult at times, and even rebellious kids, I mean, they're not a problem. Kids are not problems. You know, kids are a blessing. And kids are- I was rebellious. You're what? Ass. I said I was a rebellious ass. <laughs> Here's my life. I was I mean, a saint. Maybe who I was. So I relate to all of these teens, you know, that are running away and doing all yeah. the things. I'm like, baby, I've already done that. Like, I I'm here with you, you know. So I think. I mean, I, I wasn't rebellious at all. Just because I was pregnant at 17 does not mean I was rebellious. <laughs> Come on, y'all. Come on. My mom had me at 16, so you know. I get I mean, it. I like your mama already. <laughs> You're doing a lot of stuff at 15. I think that's another thing parents don't realize is that their 12-year-old is not the 12-year-old we were. You know, they're mm -hmm. not the 12-year-old that we were 20 years ago, 30 years ago. They have been exposed to so much by the time they're 12. Yeah. And the access that they have. Yeah. Access I mean, that they have. And now we basically gave them all free computers and like free internet and just told them to go do, you know, go, go forth and prosper. And like, who is, who is negotiating like what they're looking at? Like, you know, parents literally, it sounds like a cop out to say they don't have time, but they really are treading water. And like to also now I'm, I'm tech challenged, like to go have to set filters and settings and, and like figure that out, which takes me three hours to figure out. And now I got to go do it. And then, oh, wait, it's not that episode. It's not an iPhone, whatever. It's a this, or it's not a Kindle 2.0. It's a this. Now I got to go research it. Eh, you see how that just like mm -hmm. my brain and I, I just don't, you know, I don't do that. So like, yeah, these kids are, these kids are way more, um, it's Advanced. different. <laughs> yeah, they really are. And there's a workaround to all of it. And they know what filter you've put on. And they can guess your password yeah, and all the things. I know. They're it's, a lot it's another job. We are. It's a full-time job. A friend of mine's two-year-old uh, grandson unlocked her phone the other day. She's like, how did you just do that? And he's two. And it's just those little digits doing whatever, and it worked. So who knows? <laughs> but all right. to that, I just, um, we're ready to sign off. Um, you guys stick around. I'm going to sign off with my listeners. But thank you guys again so much for being here. True honor. True blessing. I can't wait to push this episode out because it's going to be a lot of, a lot of fun. 
But um, yeah, guys. So thank you guys. Um, thank you guys for sticking with us. This was a, this was uh, a little bit longer than we usually go, but that's not a problem. We knew it was going to go either way. Um, if you guys like these episodes, make sure you subscribe and follow everything Twenty Two Hundred Taps, uh, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We have a YouTube channel, and you guys, we're going to be looking a little different after the new year. So you guys need to subscribe because we got some really cool things in store. So y'all have a safe and happy holiday, and we will see you guys soon. We need a miracle.